Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Tell me the time. Uh, 34. Okay. <laughs> living wisely, living well, aphorism for July 13. We're still in the same sort of mood of standing up for yourself and, well, it's not actually, but we've had a few of them. I suspect they're all through the book. Let, I'm going to have to do all that over again because I'm in the, starting in the middle. This won't make any sense if oh, okay. I'm in the middle of July. And also, living wisely, living well, aphorism for July 13. Let no one pressure you with his opinions. Be guided from within yourself. My own family, this is Swami Kriyananda writing, speaking for himself, my own family did their best to make me forsake my spiritual calling. I'm glad to say I adamantly rejected their pleas. I had my own star to follow. It has led me into the inner temple of peace. Following their wishes, would have brought me lasting sorrow, frustration, and disappointment. Therefore, I say, follow your own star. I want to um, add that there's a preface to this book, which, you know, we're not referring to every time, but every once in a while it's worth noting. It's the introduction. And Swami Kriyananda, the author, says, The sayings in this book consist of lessons I myself have learned in life, whether by experience or through trial and error, sometimes by deep pain or disappointment, many times through an inner joy almost unbearable. And that's really important to keep in mind because this is not a a book of theory. This is a book of of hard-won wisdom by actually living through it. And um, I am uh, I'm a child compared to my spiritual teacher, Swami Kriyananda, but I met Swami 50 years ago, so I've had my share of uh, trial and error, deep disappointment, and also inner bliss. So I, I also know what he's talking about. So it's, um, it's important to take these seriously. Sometimes people write aphorisms and they write words that sound good to them, Sometimes people write aphorisms and they basically collect everybody's aphorisms. But that's not what this book is. This is a book of hard-won experience and every challenge that he puts before us in this book he knows can be met by the human spirit and that the result of it is worth the effort. Um, That's a a credibility that you feel, but it's also worth articulating. I've... uh, I'm I'm on a path of discipleship, speaking personally. And a path of discipleship means that one has come to recognize the limits of one's own understanding and the importance of... um, 
I want, the word I was going to use was spiritual authority. But what I mean by that is the necessity to recognize and cooperate with wisdom when one's own experience has persuaded you of that wisdom. You see, that's quite different than feeling, well, he's in charge, I have to do what he says, or the dogma is that I have to obey. That's not at all what the path of discipleship is about. And interestingly, as we go through these aphorisms, Swami's point of view is very much you stand up for yourself. I mean, very powerfully. Some of them really quite dramatically. Once again, that's that's the life of experience. That's what he's shown. So when he says here that uh, my own family did their best to make me forsake my spiritual calling, Swami Kriyananda is an American. His name was Donald Walters, J. Donald Walters. When I was reading the, the introduction, I turned the book to the cover because sometimes he actually wrote his books under his American name so as to not set up cultural barriers to people expecting to people accepting the universal wisdom in them. But he wrote this as Swami Kriyananda. Um, but he was an American. His father was a, he worked, his father worked for Esso Oil Corporation as a geologist. His father was a scientist. Both his parents were from Oklahoma. All his relatives were from Oklahoma. If you're an American, that, that conjures up a certain picture. Of course, Swami was born in 1926, I think. So, you know, it all, it all moves back in time. Um, but let me just get the picture there. So when Swami Kriyananda in 1948, at the age of 22, um, left, you know, he, 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 was, he lived, a, he was in a very privileged strata of society, and he excelled within that strata. He had already become somewhat un- unconventional. He had quit college before he graduated, but then he was going to be a playwright, and then he was studying theater arts, and that was the path he was on. His, and he was going to be an author or a poet. And he had received great encouragement from successful, talented people. The expectation was that he would become an artist, but, but that the chances were great that he would become a great one, in fact. He, at the age of 22, he walked away from all of it, went to Los Angeles to become the disciple of an Indian guru in 1948. In, in the 1960s, late 60s, when I myself dropped out of Stanford and I was, all my companions had dropped out of equally prestigious schools for the most part, it was happening to all the families, you know. And I remember one of my, uh, the parents of one of my friends basically said that every family lost at least one, it lost is how they put it, to that counterculture movement. And, and she was honest enough to say to me, and usually it was the most promising child, which in the case of her son it was. Her son was on his way to a, you know, a stellar career in multiple fields and instead just dropped down and went into the spiritual life. So, but even when, when it happened to Swami's parents, it was, there was no context for it. And to say they did their best to dissuade him would be putting it mildly. As he described it, um, he said it was like, uh, was this from P.G. Woodhouse? It might have been a P.G. Woodhouse reference. His sudden decision to leave, Swami Kriyananda's sudden decision to leave everything and go to Los Angeles and become the disciple of an Indian guru had the effect of a hand grenade, you know, landing on the table in the middle of a Sunday brunch. It was just absolutely stunning. Also because he had given no sign to anyone in his family, to anyone actually, of what was really going on inside of him and how desperate he was at that point for truth. So they tried, and he was adamant. 
He was just simply adamant. He knew what he was doing, and there was no question about it. Now, of course, it all turned out pretty well. I mean, by the standards that matter to Swami, he says it all turns out pretty well, interestingly, because of his inner peace. Swami doesn't mention that he wrote 150 books and 400 pieces of music and started nine communities and gave thousands of lectures and had uh, his books translated into 30 languages and sold in 100 countries and tens of thousands of people all over the globe looked to him as their, as their spiritual guide and inspiration. Swami doesn't mention any of the measurable success and prestige and accomplishment that resulted from that decision. It's very notable. He says, I have inner peace. And the contrast is not, you know, of anything else. If I had followed the advice of my parents, what does he say? It would have been sorrow, lasting sorrow, frustration, and disappointment. And that's all that mattered. What happened to his consciousness? What he accomplished was incidental. But even on that level, of course, it looks promising. My own parents, who were not ambitious for me, and God bless them, were always very kind and supportive, you know, really came down to the obvious fact that I was so happy. And they were generous, extremely generous, and just happy that I was happy. And then over time, they gradually began to appreciate that there seemed to be a greater depth to my happiness. Something about me is how (laughs) my mother put it. Something about you that she liked. She could never concede more than that, but she did. I feel good when I'm around you. It must have something to do with what you're doing, which I thought was enough. I didn't need more. I never needed anything, but she sensed it. But even if they don't, this is a very important point. Um, When uh, someone was talking to Swamiji essentially about what did they owe their parents, Swami's first question was, have they ever done anything to try to deter you from the spiritual path? And the answer was no, never. He said, then you owe them respect, deep respect and loyalty, not to the extent of giving up your spiritual well-being in the, in the name of their desires, but to the extent that they've done nothing to warrant your repudiating the relationship in any way. Even Paramhansa Yogananda, who was an avatar born, but he had to play the he had to play the Leela, the divine play of growing up, being a young man. At a certain point, his father who himself was a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya, who was a Kriyaban through this line of gurus. But his father was a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya, and Yogananda was a disciple of one of Lahiri's disciples. So father and son did not have the same guru, but it was the same lineage. But somehow Sri Yukteswar did something that caused there to be just a little bit of gossip in town. And Yogananda's father repeated the gossip to Yogananda himself out of concern for his son, out of jealousy for his son's loyalty to his guru. I I really, there's no mention of it. But the father repeated the unfavorable gossip about Sri Yukteswar to Master. Master stood up, looked at his father, bear in mind they're Kriyabans together, looks at his father and says, human birth is something, but divine birth is everything. If you say one more word against my guru, I disown you as my father forever. 
Wow. I mean, this was one deep spiritual devotee talking to another, but there was no space in Yogananda's consciousness for someone to speak against his guru. It just wasn't going to happen. And that is the only grounds that the masters give us for really repudiating a relationship when there's no other grounds for doing it. But if anyone tries to keep you from your spiritual life, then you have every right in the world to simply say no. There was a point in my life, mostly my parents were exceedingly supportive of my spiritual life, but for some reason there was a little point in the middle after about 15 years. I have no idea why, but suddenly they started like, I only saw them occasionally, but my father was with my father, and he starts sort of raising questions about what I'm doing. And it was, it was fortunately, I didn't have anything at stake. I, I did not need their approval, and I hadn't really ever needed it very much. I mean, I wasn't immune, but I didn't need them to approve of me. When I was 10, I, I fell in with bad companions. And I did, actually. They were the most entertaining children that there were, so I really enjoyed them. Um, But they were not a good influence, and my parents were concerned. And I remember pulling myself up to my full, which was probably 60 pounds, I was a pretty small kid, pulling myself up to my full 10-year dignity and announcing to my parents, this is how I put it, I, I remember this, the die is cast, I declared. I'm either a good kid or a bad kid, and there's nothing you can do about it now. My parents behind closed doors must have laughed themselves silly at the picture of their little twerp of a daughter making such a declaration. But it was true. Even I think I remember it because it was true. It was just the die is cast. I am who I am. I'm 10. You're going to have a lot of control over my life, but you're not molding my life. You're just not. And that's an important attitude for a devotee to have. Go on alone. doesn't matter who comes with you. If you know the truth, you just follow it, especially when you're following, Swami calls it your star, but the inner star of divine realization, not just a whimsical, rebellious one. But I know where truth lies and happiness, happiness lies. So, but for some reason, in that little period, my father just starts in a little bit questioning. I looked at him. It was funny. I said several things. First I said, you know, you raised me to think independently and always, you know, consider issues myself and make up my own mind. I thought you would be proud of me because that's exactly what I've done. He was a little chagrined by that. I didn't say that angrily. I just said, this puzzles me. And then the next thing I said, not like Master declared to his father, but, you know, don't make me choose. Because if I have to choose what I've chosen for my life or you, And I said it as kindly as I could. I won't choose you. So, And then I just said, why don't you not do this? And God bless them, they never did. They just realized what was the point. I don't know even what motivated them for those moments. But that's just how we have to be. Swami put it in another context when he urged a, a young man an Indian man, as it were, to take a certain course of action. He said, the the Indian man said, young man, but if I did that, my mother would be very disappointed. Swami said, we all must be prepared to disappoint our mothers. And we do. God willing, we won't have to, but we have to be prepared to do it. 
Let no one pressure you with his opinions. Be guided from within yourself. My own family did their best to make me forsake my spiritual calling. I'm glad to say I adamantly rejected their pleas. I had my own star to follow. It has led me into the inner temple of peace. Following their wishes would have brought me lasting sorrow, frustration, and disappointment. Therefore I say... Follow your own star. God bless you. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.